remember where we've been, where we've come from, so that we would never look down on anybody. For the children of Israel, their history as slaves in Egypt and God's mighty deliverance, their remembrance of where they were causes them to humble so those roots go down deep in humility. And God's amazing work in their life causes them to grow upward in worship and praise. It's easier to see God's faithfulness in your moments of need. But if you're like most people, you tend to relax your grip on the Lord as circumstances smooth out. In this message, Pastor Daniel shares that God keeps telling his people to remember where they came from. Why? Because he wants them to stay humble, to remember their need and how he provided for them. In the same way, remembering your need for grace will help you be gracious towards others. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 16 as he continues his message, Three Feasts. We see this in Exodus 23, Leviticus 23, Numbers 28, like we said before. And really what this is, is this is the beginning of the springtime harvest. This is a harvest feast. That's why it's also called first fruits. Because once the harvest comes, God wants the people always to remember that their harvest is not because of the work of their hands, but everything they have that comes from the Lord. Right? So this principle of first fruits comes right on out. It's a constant reminder that every time there is a harvest, the only reason you have any fruit for the work that you're doing is because God provided. You didn't create the seed, no matter what Monsanto tells you. You didn't create the sun or the water or the proper conditions in the soil to be able to grow this stuff. It's a constant reminder for the people of God that we are not our own source, but we are dependent on the source of all life, which is the Lord. So whenever the harvest comes, before they start saying, well, we got all this stuff, it's going to be great. We're going to make a boatload of money. We're going to have a ton of food. It's going to be amazing. Wow. We say, Lord, we're going to give you the first fruits because you are absolutely worthy. And the only reason we have this stuff is because you've provided it for us. Now, this principle, of course, is very, very important for us. Because God wants us to always to remember that we are completely dependent. Any sort of idea of independence, it's not real. We are completely and totally dependent upon the Lord. I'm constantly blown away when I think about all the things that are the most important things. The most important knobs are on God's side of the wall. I don't have to keep remembering to keep my heart beating I'm grateful for that because I'm kind of an airhead sometimes. And so I wouldn't remember to do that. So that is on God. I don't have to remember to keep producing, you know, breathing out carbon dioxide and then there's trees and it takes the carbon dioxide it makes oxygen. I breathe in oxygen. I didn't create that stuff. I don't have to sustain that stuff. The ability to digest food, I mean, I'm grateful for the taste of it, but God doesn't make me remember to digest my food because he knows that we'd forget, right? So all the most important knobs are on God's side of the wall. And everything. There's a lot of knobs on our side of the wall, but not the most essential ones. 
And the Feast of First Fruits is meant to always remind us that it's absolutely essential that we give God the honor and the credit due for being who he is and what he's done. Now, again, you notice this repeated phrase here where it says that you shall at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. That's at the end of verse 11. This is why it's the pilgrim feast. You leave wherever you are and you go to wherever God has placed his name. Now, of course, once you fast forward into the New Testament, something very, very important happened on the day of Pentecost. Does anybody remember what it is? Yeah, it's the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter two. Now, think about this. If Passover is the picture of Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus has the lamb slain for the forgiveness of sins and all its fulfillment, right? Then the Feast of first fruits or the Feast of Weeks, right? This is the beginning of the church. Why? Because after Jesus died, right, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and he told the disciples, listen, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you will receive power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then... Right on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2 says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Very That's Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Very powerful statement. When this day had fully come, when it came in its fulfillment, God sent forth his Holy Spirit, and that was the beginning of the early church. On that day, 3,000 people came to know Jesus. Now, you know what's amazing about that? That's the feast of the first fruits. It is the first fruit of the redeemed of humanity on that day. See, it's the beginning of the harvest. The early church, when the spirit was given out, the early church was birthed on that day. Now, what's amazing also, and we don't realize it, we don't see it in the scriptures, but according to Jewish tradition, on the Feast of first fruits was also the day when the law was given on Mount Sinai. And if you read that account in the book of Exodus, we find out that the day the law was given, 3,000 people died because people were on the mountain, there was all these issues going on. But then in Acts chapter two, on the day the spirit of God was poured out, 3,000 people were made alive again. Now, why is it like that in the Bible? Simply because the law kills and the spirit gives life. Which brings us back to the idea of salvation by works. See, if you try and be saved by law, it only brings death because nobody lives up to the standards that they erect. Isn't that why Jesus said, whatever measure you use, it will be what? measured back to you. See, if we really grabbed hold of that, we wouldn't judge anybody else. We'd be really gracious with everybody else because whatever the measuring stick we use, God measures it back on us. And that's a terrifying thing, isn't it? You get mad I can't believe they were so rude, right? You ever notice if you say that? I always say that my sin looks terrible when you do it, you know? So if you don't like that someone's rude, I guarantee you someone will be like, yeah, you're kind of rude yourself, right? Or if you're like, they're so self-centered, right? If we look at our hearts, oftentimes we're self-centered, right? I can't believe they're so cheap, right? Oh, normal time when we notice it's because we're cheap. You know, we just don't like it when someone else does it in our direction, right? And so we're reminded of all of these things on this day of Pentecost. Now, what's also beautiful about this in verse 11, notice, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite who is within your gates, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are among you in the place where the Lord your God places his name. You notice that for the Feast of First Fruits, there is a very specific 
encouragement that everybody is allowed to be there. Why? Because salvation comes to anybody who would believe. It doesn't matter what your place in society is. It doesn't matter what class you find yourself in. It doesn't matter all these things that people define themselves by. If you come to Jesus, it doesn't matter where you're from, you will be saved. And I think this is an important thing because we live in a world, especially right now, where there's racial tensions and it's rising every single day. Somebody just asked me about this. They said, Pastor Daniel, so what do you think about you know, all the racial tensions? I'm like, well, my Bible says that in Christ, there's neither male nor female, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither black nor white, all are one in Christ. So, so God's grace is not mediated by your social status or the color of your skin or what tax bracket you find yourself in or if you're employed or unemployed. God's grace is mediated by his sheer grace and anybody who wants in is in. Listen, as Christians, we need to change that discussion. Because right as something becomes racially motivated, it is completely outside of the purposes and plans of God. God chose one nation, not because they're the best, because God wanted to bring his Messiah into the world through a group of people. And God gave the children of Israel this whole backstory of all this stuff so that when Jesus comes, it all fits in. And we have to make sure we remember that. And we have to make sure that as followers of Jesus, we don't allow politics to define the way we look at people. We let the cross and the empty tomb be the way that we define people. And listen, this is important because this conversation is coming up. And if we do not inject who Jesus is and what he's done into this conversation, this conversation is never going to help anybody. Anybody. See, for the Feast of the First Fruits, for the time that the church was born, when the Spirit is poured out and places people into the body of Christ, it doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter if you're a priest, it doesn't matter if you're a family member, it doesn't matter if you're a widow, if you're fatherless, it doesn't matter if you're a stranger in the land, it doesn't matter if you're a servant, it doesn't matter. Because if you have the Spirit of Christ, then you are part of the family of God. And that is so awesome. If you've ever traveled around you can go anywhere in the world and you'll find a church that's your family. I've been in India. I've been in South America. I've been in the Middle East. Everywhere you go, I've been in Africa. You meet people and they're like your family. It's the coolest thing. Like I remember I was in Africa, but we sent a team out to Kenya a couple years back and I met this brother. His name was James. And James had the biggest smile. And when I met James, James gave me a big hole. He's like, my brother. Just met this guy. And I'm like, yeah. Met the guy too. That's my family member. It's my brother in Christ. I remember when I was in Israel, we were up in the Sea of Galilee region. Now in Israel, you, there's some historic churches that you can go to, but like uh, Christian church, evangelical churches, you can't go to. You can't have a building in Israel if you're going to do any sort of gospel proclamation evangelism. So we were up in the Sea of Galilee region, and it was amazing because you end up going to a church and there's an armored guard there. No sign, no like, hey, come to church here, service times this time, check out our cool new series called Blueprints, none of that stuff. You know, you just walked on in, and it was amazing. It was a church, and all the worship songs were sung in Hebrew and Russian, right? Now, what was amazing is, is so, notice I didn't say English, and you guys know that English is my only language. I struggle with it still, you know? But it was amazing to be in this congregation, and they're singing in Hebrew, and they're singing in Russian, and I'm bawling. I don't have a clue what they're saying. But it was like, this is my family. 
And I started thinking about heaven. How about how every tribe, nation, and tongue is going to be there all around, all around the throne of the Lamb, worshiping God. And I'm literally weeping. I have no clue what they were saying. They could have been singing like a McDonald's jingle for all I know. You know? I mean, I know they weren't, but it's like, it's so powerful because you can go anywhere in the world. There is somebody of another ethnicity, another place in society who's your family member. And that's so powerful because that's what the power of the Spirit can do. It doesn't discriminate in that way. And if you're here today and you say yes to Jesus, then the Spirit of God not only takes up residence in your life, but places you in the family of God. How awesome is that? And any sort of racism as it relates to the people of God has absolutely no place. Because in the moment, if somebody were to say yes to Jesus, whatever ethnic group that they're in, whatever their background is, they automatically get accepted and become family. And when you realize that, it completely changes the way we look at people. Rather than saying, well, they're this or that, we start to saying, they're a part of my family. Or if they were to just say yes to Jesus, they would be part of my family in an instant. And that's how awesome Jesus is. See, Jesus is the great leveler of the playing field. But all these different things, and I realize, listen, we, you know, people have had experiences and this and this, you know, it's amazing some of the things that go on, you know, where we come up with these ideas and maybe we get socialized into it, or maybe certain things happen. It's one of the things I'm always talking to people about in regards to people who are Muslim right now. I said, you realize if Jesus were to reveal himself, they become your family member right now. Like, that's biblical reality. And we need to overlay that biblical reality on all the charged stuff that we see every day. It's hard to do that in a world that just wants to get you all worked up to be against. Jesus is for people. That's why he came on a rescue mission. So powerful, so important. And all this we see in this Feast of Weeks, the Feast of first fruits. And don't forget, look at verse 12. Reminder again. And you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. Strange thing, isn't it, verse 12? He said, don't forget, you were slaves in Egypt. Why? Because God always wants his people to be humble. God always wants his people to remember where they were before he intervened in their life. You ask people today about Christians, they almost always say, yeah, they're, they're not humble. But we should be because we're completely reliant upon the grace of God. Nobody comes and be like, yeah, man, I got saved because I'm the man. I'm the woman. I'm so cool, you know? I get it so right. No, we come just like, man, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And Jesus came on a rescue mission for me. God always wants us to remember where we've been, where we've come from, so that we would never look down on anybody. For the children of Israel, their history as slaves in Egypt and God's mighty deliverance, their remembrance of where they were causes them to humble so those roots go down deep in humility. And God's amazing work in their life causes them to grow upward in worship and praise. The biggest trees have the deepest roots. You guys know that, right? You could always tell how tall they're going to build a building by how deep of a foundation they built. And our remembrance of where we've been delivered from will always be the thing that modulates how much glory we can give to the Lord because of his so great of a salvation, because of what he's done. So we always want to simultaneously be growing downward in humility 
and remembrance of what we've been forgiven from so that we can grow upwards in worship. Powerful, isn't it? All right, we got one more of these feasts. So we've already seen the Passover. We've seen the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost or First Fruits. And then finally, look what it says in verse 13, the Feast of Tabernacles. It says, you shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days when you have gathered from your threshing floor and from your wine press. And you shall rejoice in your feast, verse 14, you and your son and your daughter and your male servant, your female servant and the Levite and the stranger and the followers and the widow who are within your gates. Seven days you shall keep a sacred feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands so that you shall surely rejoice. Three times a year, all the males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Weeks and at the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty handed. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God which he has given you. So in verses 13 to 15, we have this Feast of Tabernacles or booths. Now, this was the Feast of the Fall Harvest, right? So you have your spring harvest, which is your first harvest of the year, and then you have the fall harvest, which is later in the year. So this would take place about early fall time, September and October time. And the idea of the Feast of Tabernacles or booths, it's in some ways, it's God's ways to remind the children of Israel of God's keeping them in the wilderness. So they call it tabernacles or booths because it's actually God's prescribed seven-day Israeli camping trip. Literally, they would build these tabernacles, these little booths in their backyards, and they would sleep out in these booths rather than their house to be reminded of God's faithfulness in keeping them as they traveled through the wilderness. And again, you can read about this, Exodus chapter 23, Leviticus 23, and Numbers 29. So it's really cool. So when I was in New Jersey, when I planted my first church, I'm from there, but I planted a church there in an adjacent town, Highland Park, New Jersey. It's one of the highest populations of Orthodox Jewish people outside of places in New York City and Brooklyn and also in Israel, right? And so it was amazing. When it was time for the Feast of Tabernacles, you can drive down these blocks in Highland Park and you would see all these little like tents that were popping up everywhere. And I had a friend who I would study. We'd study the scriptures together. We'd study the Talmud together, the Jewish writings. And he would invite me and my family over with his family to hang out in their booth. You know, we'd eat a meal together. And it was so funny. Like, you'd go out under their porch, and there was like a little tent there. And we'd go over there, and we'd eat a little meal in the tent. But it was a reminder to them of God's faithfulness in keeping them all through the 40 years. That even though they didn't have homes to dwell in, God took care of them. And that's a powerful reality. Now, you might say, so where's the fulfillment of that in the New Testament? And the answer is that it hasn't happened yet. In the book of Revelation, we find that there's going to be an end times persecution for the people of God, and God is going to provide for them in miraculous ways. And in a lot of ways, this feast of booths or tabernacles is going to be fulfilled then when God's people see God's provision under the most dire of circumstances. But for many of us, we're experiencing God's provision in the midst of harsh situations. Now, if that's you here today, I just want to encourage you. Take heart. I have learned in my life that I never grow the most on the easy days. I always grow the most on the tough times. It's like when Jesus sent his disciples. Remember he said, I want you to go over this lake? And he sent them right into a storm. They were following the directives of Jesus, and they went right into a storm. And in the midst of that storm, they learned two things. They learned 
who they were. They've realized that they lacked faith. They learned who Jesus is. He was the one who could speak and still the, the storm. He's the one who could speak and everything calms down. And what I've learned is that the deepest trials of my own life, the deepest and hardest things I've ever gone through, I learned those same two lessons. I learned one, what's inside of me, which is never the prettiest thing. And I also learned who the Lord is, which is the most amazing thing. And if you're in one of those seasons of hardship, let somebody know so we can pray with you. We want to be able to encourage you. But as we always like to say, that the messiness of life, the struggles, the trials, they may be problematic, but they're purposeful. And God wants to reveal himself to you and in you and through you, through those troublesome times. But you have this summary statement in the end. Look at what it says here in verse 16. It says, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, at the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, notice it says that all the men should be there. And so in that culture, that means everyone's coming. It was a patriarchal society. If the dad said, hey, we're going to go do that, then everybody would go do it with them, right? And so by the directive for all the men, it really includes all the families, right? That's the way that that would work. These three times, three times a year, they would go to the tabernacle or later to the temple to meet together, those pilgrim feasts. But notice it says, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. And I think that this is super important, my friends, because everybody's supposed to be involved in this. Everybody is supposed to come and bring what they have bring their portion, and so that it's a shared, all the work is a shared work, you know? And I think, unfortunately, today, we have the tendency to think, yeah, maybe we don't need to do that anymore. And I think that the world is diminished because the people of God are not all in together. And God says, no, no nobody shows up empty-handed. Everybody brings what the Lord has blessed to them. And if I can just encourage you, as is a constant encouragement. Because we live in a day and age where the people of God is not fully engaged. There's fully engaged pockets within every church. And that is not God's intention. God's intention, because we are all parts of the body, is that we add our part. We add the thing that we're supposed to add. And until all of us follow and respond to Jesus and take that place in the body where we add our part, the body will never work right. It doesn't function optimally unless everyone is involved. Jesus is real. Pastor Daniel wrapped up today's message by reminding you that God wanted all of his people to come together for these feasts, bringing what God had given them to share. You learn that God's design is that every one of his people is to be part of what he's doing all around them. He wants you to add your part, whatever that part may be. Pastor Daniel shared that things don't work right unless everyone is involved. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here to tell you about my book, Upward, Inward, and Outward. You've heard me talk about these three directions for living again and again on Jesus is Real Radio, and I think they're so important. I wanted to write a book to explain even more. Upward, Inward, and Outward teaches you the importance of developing a right relationship with God and how that teaches you to love yourself well, 
From those two healthy relationships can spring a well of love for people around you. And that's what transforms our world. Find out more and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thanks for joining us as Pastor Daniel continues in this study of Deuteronomy by addressing the topic of leadership. You'll see that though the government and leadership structures were different for the children of Israel, there's still much that you could apply to your own life. Pastor Daniel will encourage you to consider your areas of leadership, especially as it relates to how you stand for justice. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.